Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name. Welcome you to our service here this morning. We're glad for the visitors that are here and we want you to worship with us and come back again when you can. So I probably should start out my uh, my talk here this morning with a little bit of an apology. Um, it's quite... I don't know if, if if we've ever had a Sunday before Christmas where there wasn't a Christmas message preached. But it's not going to happen this morning, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because they always tell me the poor excuse is better than none, so I'll give you my poor excuse. Um, the last two weeks have been somewhat of a blur for me. We were out of town last week, and um, came back home Sunday night, and uh, I knew my sister and brother-in-law and their family were showing up the end of this week. And I knew that that would greatly limit my time that I could spend preparing any kind of a, a talk for this morning at the end of this week or last week or whatever. So I quickly um, put this together on Monday and Tuesday. And somehow in my mind, Christmas was still a long ways off yet. And it did not occur to me that Christmas was happening this coming Friday. And so here we are. Christmas is Friday. And I do not have a Christmas message prepared for you, so whoever's preaching next Sunday may take that liberty and preach a Christmas message if they care to. But I, as I reflected on it, I, I, I briefly considered uh, ad-libbing that this morning. I briefly considered turning to Luke 2 and talking about the shepherds and seeing how that would go preaching with absolutely no notes. It might be a good exercise for me. But I thought, well, would that be more difficult for me or for you? And I took pity on you, and I decided not to do it. Um, but I do have a little tagline at the end. You know, sometimes we sing songs, and they have these tags at the end. And that's kind of a, a little stanza all by itself that uh, is you don't sing it except at the very end. So we're going to pick up a little tagline at the end that I think fits quite nicely, and it has and it's related to, to Christmas. So turn with me to James again this morning. I uh, I don't know, I kind of got started here in the book of James, and I think we're going to stick with it a while. James is a, is a, is a writer that has a lot of, a lot of good things for us to think about, and uh, I'd like to pull from him again here this morning as we uh, consider um, the message of the morning. And we're going to read uh, verses 21 through 27 of um, James 1. Wherefore, laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with the meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was." But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So the title this morning is, Are You a Hearer are you, or Are You a Doer? And Why Does This Matter? James goes into uh, quite, a, quite a little discourse here on uh, 
whether we are hearers and doers or whether we're just hearers. And it seems to uh, make a difference to him whether we do one or the other. You know, we, uh, we hear uh, sometimes we say things like, you know, that we should put our money where our mouth is or we should practice what we preach. And uh, this basically is generally a rebuke to people that talk smart and have a lot of answers for things. And they pr- promote uh, uh, belief systems or whatever about a certain subject, but they don't practice what they promote. And uh, actually, this is, in, in reality, is a fair trial. If somebody promotes something, well, then they should be willing to uh, have enough integrity to practice it as well. This is basically an extension of that particular thought process. We should be wise enough, I believe, to uh, to discern when we observe a situation and talk about action that is not adding up in a person or organization and be able to think about that and not be duped into believing every word that we hear. So that's that's uh, that's one part of this. But then there's another part of it is that we are exposed to good teaching and we are uh, in the presence of biblical, godly instruction, but we choose not to put that into practice, that's not very helpful either. In fact, that is actually quite harmful, uh, James tells us. I would like to look at uh, four other scriptures in, in the Word, in, in the Bible here, that talks to this very same issue. You can turn to Matthew 7 if you want to. Uh, just four quick scriptures here that um, kind of... Uh, tell us that James was not the only person that was concerned about this particular problem. So in Matthew chapter 7, and verse 21, this is Jesus talking at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth, he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And then he goes on to say that many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And then he goes into this parable. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, so whoever hears and does, I will liken unto him a wise man. Now, I'm going to skip reading all the the, uh, the verses there about the wise man, and I'm going to go down to verse 26. And it says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man. So, very clear, we understand this. There is a blessing pronounced upon people that hear and do, and if you hear and you don't do, Jesus said you're foolish. You're, uh, you're, you're as foolish as a person that would go out, and build his house in a mud puddle, and no foundation, and uh, watch that thing fall over whenever the storms of life come along. There's one thing I want to just note here real quickly in verse 23. Whenever Jesus tells those that um, come to him and talk about their wonderful works and so on, he says, "I want." He, sa- he tells them to, de- to, to depart from him, and then he says, ye that work iniquity. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word iniquity. Generally, we think of iniquity as wickedness or, or sin, practicing sin, and, and so on. And that's not too far from the truth. 
But, but the actual Greek interpretation of the word iniquity, the Greek word is anomia, which is where we get our word, um, and that word slips me right now, antinomianism, I believe. That's a huge word. But the, the word means lawlessness. It basically means living your life without applying law to your life. Not willing to submit oneself to law. So it would be no different than knowing what to do and not doing it. So it's lawlessness, living in lawlessness. So there's several things we could we could pull from this particular passage. Apparently these people that were having this discussion with the Lord on on uh, on that day there um apparently they had made up their own rules apparently because Jesus calls them lawless but they said that we've done a lot of wonderful things we've cast out devils and so on we've prophesied um apparently they they had made up their own rules but they did not re- apply the requirements of what James calls true religion here and what i think Jesus would say was was the teachings that he had just got done expounding on in the in the previous three chapters. So perhaps there was a a wrong motive for doing the right thing, too. I don't know. Um, why did these people do the wonderful things that they did? Why did they prophesy in Jesus' name? There's a lot of unanswered questions, but perhaps there was a motive there for doing these things that was not holy, perhaps. I would like us to consider this. Is it possible that we can major on certain parts of the gospel to the exclusions of other parts of the gospel? And I would point you to uh, the parable of the soils, where uh, in Luke's account of this, he talks about those that uh, the seed that fell on the good ground, and he says that they, okay, I'm just going to read you the verse, but that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard it, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Now, the part I want to just pull out of there is hearing with an honest and a good heart. Now, could we pull that out and it would still um, it would still read correctly? Could we say, these are they which in which, having heard the word, keep it? Pull that part of it out. Well, I think that's there for a reason. And I think the honesty part of it, the good and honest part of it is that, that, that this good ground, if we're going to have good soil in our hearts, we're going to have to honestly look at the Word of God. And we're going to have to, to push back against this, maybe our tendency to major on certain doctrines and kind of shove others to the side. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's exactly what all Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 7 or not. But obviously there was two different thought processes going on here. These people thought they had done the right thing. They thought they had done good things. And yet at the end of the day, Jesus says, I don't, I don't know who you are. There is perhaps an example of this, as the Hebrew writer points out to us in the love chapter, that we can do a lot of things. We can give all our money to the poor. We can give our bodies to be burned. We can do... All that myriad of things that he lists there in that love chapter. But he said, if I don't have love, it don't do me any good. And you think about that. Was there a a lack of integrity? Um, Was there not an honest heart there? 
The second passage I would like to look at is in Luke 11. And uh, this is a very similar, similar instruction here in Luke 11, verses 27 and 28. And it came to pass, as he spoke these things, Jesus here is teaching to, uh, to people here, as he often did, that a certain woman of the company lift up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. And then Jesus speaks in verse 28, but he said, Yea, rather... Are they that hear the word of God and keep it? So what's the lesson we can learn from Luke 11 here? Why did this woman speak up and say, the person that, that, that there's a, there's a blessing, a special blessing or whatever for Jesus' mother, actually. That's, that's, that's what she's saying. I wonder if this woman was not attracted or wish to espouse Mary maybe to a, a level that she shouldn't be because she had raised such a fine person as Jesus. I think that's what, what was going on here. And I wonder if the lesson for us is that we can sometimes become sidetracked by the flashy things of religion, quote, quote, perhaps. Um, truly, that... I suppose Mary um, received much blessing in her life from having a son by the name of Jesus. Uh, there was a lot of grief went with that as well. But there was some blessing that perhaps others did not have from having something like that. But Jesus said, you don't understand. The people that are really blessed are the people here in my audience today that are hearing me and will go home and they will practice what they hear me speak. He duly points out that true honor belongs to the person who keeps the commands of God. And I think, I think the, the point I want to drive home here is that it is obedience to God's word. It is not noise. It is not excitement. It is not popularity that blesses God. And I think there's a tendency. There's maybe a, a, a tendency for us as humans to be attracted to the flashy things and to trade simple, quiet obedience for some showmanship or excitement or that a high that can be gotten from emotional stimulation. And somehow that feels good. That feels um, feels like a wonderful thing, but it won't do much for us. You know, why was Jesus famous? Uh, why did he, for, for quite a time there at the beginning of his, um, of his ministry, have quite a following? Well, if you remember... Uh, it says at a, at a place that, that people were, were uh, astonished at him because he taught as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And I'd like to, for us to think for a bit, was there anything beyond teaching with authority that perhaps made Jesus um, attractive to the crowds of the day? And, and I would like to suggest that I think they saw in him a man that did practice what he preached, he was a man with integrity. There was no gap between what he spoke about and what he practiced. And I think that was impressive. So in essence, I think Jesus is teaching here that you can be as important as me, maybe. Maybe that's what he's saying. Um, if you will just listen to what I say and practice it. In Romans 2, we have another scripture reading that talks about hearing and doing the... Um, the word, and I'm just going to read that uh, at this time. Romans two and verses um, 
And I just want to take us through this exercise because I think it's important to realize that this is a, this becomes quite a theme in the scriptures. If you go to Romans 2 and start at verse 11 and we'll read through like verse 16 perhaps. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, or are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. In that day... When God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And again, in verse 13, it talks about not the hearers of the law are just, but it's the doers of the law that are justified. Basically, all this, all this passage is saying is that God's judgment is fair, it's just, and um, a, a person is judged based on his knowledge. So he's pointing out that the Gentiles had a little less knowledge than the Jews, maybe maybe greatly less. But he, he was pointing out that the Gentiles are obedient to the law because there's something in their hearts. They, they have some um, idea of what the law of God is in their hearts. And I think the, the, the lesson for us here in Romans 2 is that we need to be people that are, are, are obedient to what we know and interested in learning more. And as we learn more, we become more accountable. God is pleased, and he will judge us according to what we know. And when my hearing is outpacing my doing, I'm, I'm hearing, but I, I quit doing. I reach a point where I'm just willing now to hear, and I'm not willing to continue to do. I think that is when I am putting my standing in jeopardy with God. You know, the Gentiles did up to their knowledge. And at least that much we can give them credit for. Now, we could, we could take you to the uh, verse in Luke there that talks about how that we will be judged, uh, according to what we understand. And that people that have more knowledge are judged with more stripes than those that have less knowledge if, if, if punishment is in order. So it, God is a fair God. And we need to make sure that our hearing and our doing are on the same track, running along the same, uh, at the same pace. The last one I'd like to point to you is uh, in 1 John 3, another quite familiar passage, but talks about hearing and doing. 1 John 3, and I'll read uh, verses 7 to 10. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Yeah, this is easy stuff to understand. I mean, it, when you get into 1 John, there's little need for a commentary. It's very, very basic and easy. And uh, 
You know, in this, uh, in this world we live in, we like diagnostic equipment, and we like accurate diagnostic equipment. I took my van to uh, the shop this past week because it was sputtering whenever I started it up, and the mechanic diagnosed it. He called me, and he said, I got it fixed. Well, now, there's a, a problem. When I did it again this morning, the same thing happened, and a check engine light went on. So I don't know where in the problem lies, but there's either a problem with his diagnostic equipment or else I've got more problems than what he recognized at that point. But my point is, we like to be able to accurately diagnose things. We go to the doctor. We don't want him just to be poking around and guessing. We'd like him to diagnose it properly so we can treat it properly. John is saying we can diagnose some things very accurately here by just a little observation. He says, don't let any man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. So in other words, you, you observe somebody or you, you, uh, you take a little stock in yourself. You determine if you are, you are practicing righteousness or if those around you are practicing righteousness. And if they are, then you can safely conclude that these people are righteous people. If you turn to James 3, just a, just a page over in your Bibles, in verses 17 and 18, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Again, not much commentary needed. Very, very easy verses to understand. And I really believe that if we carefully assess these qualities here in verses 17 and 18 of, of James 3, they're hard to counterfeit. They really are. Um, a person that is truly, genuinely pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, a merciful person, a person that's giving forth good fruits, etc., a peaceful person, that's doing righteousness. That's true righteousness. You, you encounter a person like that, and you can say with pretty good surety, actually full surety, if it's void of hypocrisy, that person is a righteous person. It doesn't lie to you. It's not deceptive. All right, so a couple of questions that I would like to, uh, to uh, just visit at this point. So why is it that we as humans apparently have this problem with hearing the word and not doing it. I mean, it seems like we should want to do the right thing, right? So why is, why is this a problem? I have several things I'd like to just uh, submit to you for your consideration this morning. In verse, one, verse 21, rather, in the passage we read, it talks about laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, now, that's words we don't use a lot. Uh, that just simply means that we should lay apart filthiness and the evil that's so prevalent. That's what superfluity of naughtiness are, is. I think what it's saying here is that sometimes we can be so worldly loving and practicing that there actually is no desire in our hearts to practice the words of Jesus. So that the gospel really can't penetrate and get a hold of anything so that we actually can practice it. It's kind of like speaking to someone and the, and the words just run off like water off a duck's back. We use that sometimes. And I don't know if you've ever talked to a person like that 
I have, and I can tell you it's not a, it's not an interesting experience. When you're talking to someone and you know you're hitting a block wall, uh, you just soon walk away. It isn't, it isn't helping you or them. And I would say again, going back to the parable of the soils, Jesus talks about the seed that fell by the wayside. And he compares that to people that hear, but Satan immediately comes and snatches it away. So there's just, there's no seed there. And I think this really represents a, a large swat of society in our day. People that are so interested in the world, so immersed in the world, so happy with the things around them, that when they are exposed to the truth, there's nothing for the truth to latch on in their hearts and um, and start growing. So I don't know. I don't know if we if we struggle with that or not. I hope we don't. I hope that if we're having problems with hearing and not doing, it's not that we're so worldly minded and our hearts are so hard that it's like the 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 word just falling on hard ground and the birds coming picking it up and moving it away. I hope that's not the issue, but it could be. The second thing that I would like to point out is the latter part of verse twenty one talks about receiving with meekness the engrafted word. And again, I think that the word meekness is not there uh, without a reason. And I wonder if it's not saying here that we can be hindered because we are harboring attitudes that hinder a teachable spirit. And I think we always need to be open to the possibility that we could perhaps be misapplying or misunderstanding or ignoring some part of the Bible, but we're unwilling for some reason to be taught otherwise. And I think that's really why it's important that we come together like we do regularly, like this collectively, and we uh, read the Word of God together, and uh, somebody actually talks about it. We have Sunday school, we have preaching, we have Wednesday evening topics. We have these things where we can learn from each other. Um, you know, we all have the Word of God. We, we all do. And I guess a person could reason that it would be perfectly fine just to sit home and, and read the Bible by himself and, and draw his own conclusions. And I, I do believe that the gospel is, is, uh, is easy enough to understand that a person could well become a Christian and be saved without necessarily ever hearing preaching necessarily. But it does say in the Bible that how will a person hear if he doesn't have a preacher? And it talks about the foolishness of preaching, and it talks about the good that preaching does for us. So why am I saying all this? Well, I think I think perhaps sometimes it is personal pride in ourselves that makes us feel that we need no more help, that we have our conclusions made, and that we have come to the best solution for anything that we can possibly uh, come to. And um, we don't have that meekness that we need to receive more teaching into our hearts. We just put up a block. And the meekness factor is missing. And I really think that is the problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They thought they needed no more help, and especially not from Jesus. They could not receive the word that they heard from Jesus because they loathed the person that was delivering it to them. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew 13, when uh, in that verse there in 57, it says, And they were offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own house. And I think this, as I just mentioned, I think this can come very, very close home to us. Jesus speaks to his disciples in Luke 10. 
And he says this to them. He says, he that heareth you heareth me. And he that despiseth you despises me. And he that despises me despises him that sent me. And Paul had something very similar to say and to the Thessalonian church. He said, he therefore that despiseth despises not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So my challenge for me and for you today is let's make sure that that, that hearing part, that, that our ears are stopped to even the hearing part, so there's no way we can possibly practice, because we have some sort of a chip on our shoulder at the person that is bearing the good news to us, that is expounding the, the news to us. We cannot receive with meekness and practice if we, uh, if we don't hear the word first. All right, let's look at another one here. Verse 24, James talks about this person that looks in a mirror and uh, goeth his way and forgetteth what manner of man he is. I think sometimes we fail to be doers of the word because of procrastination or forgetfulness or excuses. And I think Felix uh, in the Bible is a prime example of someone that procrastinated. He listened to Paul speak until it said he trembled and shook, so he certainly was hearing. And it feels like he wanted to do, but he said, Paul, just come back at a more convenient day. And then we'll talk about the doing part of it. Uh, as far as we know, he, Felix never did become a Christian, and, and, and we have no reason to think that Felix did not die in his sins even though he had been exposed to hearing to the point that it was physically affecting him, the Bible says. It's no different with us. We can sit under good preaching and teaching, and we can quench the spirit by our lack of resolve to deal with our own personal problems. And we fail to get the doing part um, in place. And sometimes I think we feel good that if we recognize a thing, you know, we, we sit there and we listen and we hear and we read, perhaps, and we recognize it, but it doesn't do us much good if we don't do it, you see. Um, at Grove City last week, uh, I was talking with a brother there at church, and he pointed something out to me that it really resonated with me. And uh, I've done this myself, and I know you, pro- you probably have too, but I'd like to give this to you for, for your consideration. He said, uh, he said, you know, we often, we often will say when we hear something from a speaker or, or from, um, you know, we're, we're reading in our Bibles, you know, perhaps we're having our personal devotions or whatever. And, and in our testimonies, we'll say, we have been challenged. We, we've been challenged with this. He said, I got a question for you. He said, what good is a challenge? Well, it isn't much good, is it? The only way a challenge is good is if we actually do something about the challenge. Think about, uh, the Israelites there, when Goliath was challenging them, for what was it, 30 days they were challenged? And every day, the, the children of Israel just ran in the face of the challenge. Uh, every day they were challenged. One more day. But it was the day when David resolved to do something about the challenge that things happened, and good things happened. And I would just like to, uh, should I say challenge you? That maybe we should think about that. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should say instead of I have been challenged, perhaps we should say, I am resolved. I'm going to change this thing. And then there's things such as excuses. 
I can't do something because it doesn't make common sense or it isn't politically correct or perhaps it isn't socially acceptable. In Matthew 19, whenever Jesus was having a discourse with his disciples about divorce and remarriage, um, they're there talking about this, and the disciples said, actually, I don't understand who could, who could, who could ever get their arms around what you're teaching here. Now that's, I'm just putting this in my own words. And Jesus said something like this. He said, let him that is able to receive it, receive it. In other words, Jesus recognized that there's going to be a large segment of humanity that will not be able to get over the fact that Christian teaching, Christian practice does not fit common sense. And I believe sometimes this is much easier to spot in others than in ourselves. Another thing we hear sometimes is that um, I can't practice, I will not practice because I lack conviction. And that's one we've heard many times. And we like when conviction is present. We like to practice things because we're convicted of it. But I'm, 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 I'm interested if any, if anybody in this audience could point me to a verse where it says that we must wait on conviction to practice a thing. I would suggest to you this morning that there's no place in the Word of God that talks about waiting for conviction before we practice something. But there is a lot of verses in the Bible that speaks of God's blessing to people that are willing to submit to what the Bible says and practice it even if they don't understand, even if there is no conviction there. We don't have to have conviction to practice something. You think about the irony of that. What if um, what if we told our children that they must do a thing, and they said, well, I'm not convicted of that. I'll sit here and I'll do that whenever I'm convicted. I should do that. Now, how much do you think would happen? How much? How long would it take conviction to conjure up in that person and our children and get that trash taken out or whatever it is? You just think about that. I wonder if that isn't the way God looks at, at us sometimes. All right, another thing here I'd just like to uh, to talk about yet. I think sometimes we fail because the standard held by the Scripture is deemed too lofty to attain. And so we, like in verse 24, we're like the man that forgets and goes on his way. We forget what manner of man we are. And again, this is maybe... Uh, this is maybe redundant in some ways, but um, I believe we all have personal temptations and struggles, at least I do, that are specifically hard for us personally. And to find victory takes some, some amount of diligence. It's hard work. And so it's easy to just forget about doing that and to, um, to just go on our way because we just do not want, we just think the, to attain what we wish we could is just absolutely too lofty. And I would point out that I think that's, that was the problem with the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he wanted to hear, but when the thing was pointed out to him that he must change, it said that he went away sorrowful. Now he could have done that. He could have sold his goods and he could have given them to the poor. That was easily within his reach. But he wouldn't do it because it was too hard for him. And I really think sometimes this is where the sins of the Spirit quickly find cover. You know, the sins that really mar our souls, like unbridled lust and bitterness and covetousness and anger and so on. We allow them to exist in our lives because the hard work of rooting them out is so hard and it takes so much diligence and it takes so much prayer and, 
and work that we say, you know what, it's just too lofty to attain. And we're just going to forget what manner of man we actually are. You know, the Bible has many, many teachings that defy logic. Who, uh, who wants to love enemies and do good to them? Who wants to cheerfully take the spoiling of their goods? Or who doesn't want to lay up a few treasures on earth? Who thinks that if you're sued and you're sued for a million dollars, you should offer them two? These are hard things, and yet that's the Word of God. It defies human logic. All right. So what are the ramifications if we hear and don't do? I think in this passage we have a few things. In verse 26, it talks about vain religion. And um, it gives us a little illustration of a, of a person that says he's religious and he doesn't bridle his tongue. James said that this man's religion is vain. So this man pretended, but he didn't really practice. I really think that sometimes this is, this is our struggle. Um, we, uh, we have a tendency to, um, to again, maybe emphasize one area over the other. And I think perhaps that's what's even coming out in verse 27. Whenever James talks about pure religion, that uh, is two things, to visit the fatherless and the widow and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And, and did you ever think about how those two things are somewhat in tension? Uh, there's, there seems to be a tension uh, between, on one hand, keeping myself unspotted from the world, and the other hand, visiting the fatherless and widows. And I think we could expand that to say visiting the people that are kind of the, the needy of the world. And that would, that would be a, a broader range, I believe, than just fatherless and widows. And so I think maybe there's a tendency for us to say, well, we will, we will um, major on the one area to the, to the exclusion of the other, or maybe minor on the other. And I think if you, if you perhaps look at churches and denominations, you would perhaps see that this is a constant struggle that we have. Can we keep those things in balance? Can we focus on both of them? Or are we going to major on one or the other? And I, I really believe that God isn't a God of averages. God is a fair and he's a reasonable God. And I believe that God wishes for us to look at both. And when we, when we address both parts of this, we won't have vain religion. You know, Timothy talks about people that have itching ears and are glad to have teachers that will come and teach them what they wish to hear. I think uh, that's vain religion. We need to be listening to things that are hard to hear and uh, that where we need to be, uh, we need to be prompted to, to more full of obedience. Number two, I think the other result of, uh, of hearing and not doing is going to end up being sinful practice. And back to this little phrase of filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. James has um, another thing to say to this in, uh, in chapter 4 and verse 17. He said, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So when I read the word of God, and I comprehend that, and I'm exposed to the word, and I choose not to practice it, God will hold me accountable for that, and it will be to my undoing. At the very least my spiritual growth, I think, will stop, and I will be the loser in the end. 
The third thing I'd like to point out is we will have deceived hearts. And I get that from uh, verse 22. When um, we are hearers and not doers, we are deceiving our own souls. And I think that in reality, there's really no difference between a person that hears and doesn't do or doesn't hear and doesn't do. Okay, So in reality, nothing is done. However, the one that hears could feel smug about the fact that he is at least hearing. At least he went through the motions. At least he went to church and he he listened to God's word. And somehow he can use that for a conscience appeaser that he's at least went through the motions. But if he doesn't do it, it doesn't help him much, does it? Jesus talks about people that draw near with their mouth and honor with lips, but they don't have their heart invested in it. Interestingly enough, we think of deception as something that comes from another person. In other words, if I was a false prophet up here and I'd be teaching you and you'd believe me, I'd be deceiving you. But here, James talks about deceiving ourselves. And I think deceiving ourselves is perhaps one step harder or more involved than whenever we're deceived by somebody else. Because one of the hardest things for us as humans to do is to admit that we're wrong. And I don't even know how sometimes we even... Uh, if we're wrong, and we're convinced that we're right, even if we're wrong, to get us undone in that un, in that wrongness is awfully hard, very, very difficult. And so we deceive ourselves. So, just in conclusion here, Hebrews 3.7 talks about when we hear the Holy Ghost and we harden our hearts, that... Um, um, We have the same problem as the children of Israel did whenever it says they always erred in their hearts and did not know God's ways. So if I hear and I don't apply to my heart, I will eventually end up with a hard heart. We don't want that. I also think that um, one of the long-term ramifications of hearing and not doing is a general spiritual cooling of the bride of Christ. Remember with me way back in the beginning of this talk where I talked about the iniquity being defined as lawlessness, a lack of doing. Jesus says in Matthew 24, because iniquity or because the lack of doing, because of lawlessness, because this will abound in the end, the love of many will wax cold. I think there's something about the continuous ignoring of the word, lawlessness, if you will, that will have a cooling effect on more people than just me. And I do wonder sometimes if that is why we have the general cooling that we see in Christendom today and perhaps even in our own our own churches at times, some of the church problems and struggles we have. Could it be that there's just not an interest in doing the Word of God? And so it has a cooling effect on us. And ultimately, and this is the, uh, the, 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 the final part of where this will end up, is being cast out of the presence of God. In Luke 13, 26, Then ye shall say, We have eaten and drunk in your presence, and, have taught in your, and you have taught in our streets. But he, or Jesus, shall say, I tell you, I know, you not, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me again, ye workers of iniquity, ye workers of lawlessness, ye people that heard and didn't do. However, there is a blessing in verse 25. If I'm willing to look into the perfect law of liberty and I'm willing to continue therein, and I'm not a forgetful hearer, but I'm a doer of the work, 
This man will be blessed in his deeds. You want a blessing? It's really simple. Listen and do, and you will be blessed in your deeds. Now, tying this into the Christmas story. Remember those shepherds out there on that hill that day when them angels came and said, you know, um, if you go here to this barn or whatever, you'll see Jesus. I don't know what that display looked like. I mean, I think it was more in seeing Haley's Comet anyway, seeing those angels and everything. I think that was a, that was a wonderful time. Now, what if those uh, shepherds would have said, you know, we, we've seen enough. You know, this was an awesome display. We had these angels singing to us and saying these things. And this is good enough for us. We won't necessarily go down there to the Bethlehem and look in that barn and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, check this out to see whether it's true or not. Um, I don't know if anything terribly harmful would have came from that, but I'll tell you what, they would have missed a huge blessing, huge blessing from not listening to what the angels said and going down and checking that out. Now it also says that whenever they left the barn and they went back to their sheep, that it said that they told everybody they met along the way uh, about this this great happening, how they had seen these angels and they had went and they visited Jesus there. And um, it says about the people that they told that they wondered about it. They just wondered about it. Now, I, I have no doubt, I would at least assume, that there would have been no reason that the people that the shepherds told about the, the baby Jesus there in, in that barn couldn't have went and visited as well. I would assume that perhaps that would have been societally acceptable, perhaps. But they didn't. All they did is wondered about it. And could could there be any part of the of the story of Jesus that could have been different if more people would have went and witnessed the birth of Jesus uh, that day, whenever they were told that by the shepherds. And but for, for for whatever reason, they didn't. So I don't know if that all ties in or not. But at least at least to me, it shows me that there is indeed blessing in hearing and going and doing. And I hope we have been challenged. Challenged. You got it. Hopefully, we will prove to be uh, um, not forgetful hearers, but doers of what we heard this morning.